Blaise Pascal said, We spend most of our lives not truly living at all, but shoring up goods for some time in the future when we can enjoy them, which never comes since we've incapacitated ourselves from enjoying the present. It's no wonder that our waking hours are often filled with care and anxiety, rarely with serenity. Well, welcome to Parenting Great Kids. I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker, and this is episode number 159. You know, friends, my goal with every single podcast is to encourage you and give you the tools that you need to be the parent you want to be. I don't want you to be the parent I want you to be, but the parent you want to be. I interview the best child and adolescent experts around the country to help you understand your kids and why they do what they do. My guest today is Christy Wright. Christy's the number one national best-selling author of Business Boutique and a certified business coach. Christy has a passion for equipping women with the knowledge and steps they need to successfully run and grow a business. She's spoken to thousands across the country at women's conferences, national business conferences, Fortune 500 companies, and her own sold-out live events. All right, let's get to my interview with my dear friend, Christy Wright. Well, Christy, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm so anxious to hear what you have to say about work-life balance because of anybody in the United <laughs> States knows about it. It's you. Thanks for joining me. Oh my gosh, Meg, I just love you. I've learned so much from you over the years. I'm so grateful for your friendship and so excited to be here. So thanks for having me. You just wrote a fabulous book, Take Back Your Time. And it is so timely because your generation of mothers lives with so much stress. Now, my generation of mothers, I'm 63. You know, we worked hard at our jobs. We worked hard at our families. But when we went to bed at night, we felt pretty good. Yeah. And your generation doesn't. So you talk about work-life balance. And I love in your book that you start off talking about what is balance? What does it mean? So yeah. tell us. Well, we have some ideas about this word. And you make such a good point. My mother did not struggle with this. Like not no. in, the, in the way that my generation does. Yeah. And I think the thing that kills me about all of it, Meg, is not an issue of the calendar. That's a piece of it. It's the underlying issues of the guilt, this narrative that we're failing, that we just live with and we accept and we believe. And, and so we have these ideas about balance and we talk about it in different ways. We think life balance is a 50-50 split. We're going to work 50% of the time, be at home 50% of the time. That's not realistic. Or then we think, okay, well, maybe life balance is doing everything for an equal amount of time every single day. I'm going to have a workout, have a quiet time, have time with my spouse, time with my kid. Like, that's not realistic. Even and, when you say that, you say it fast. It makes me kind of nervous. When you exactly. And that's that. intentional because that's how we feel. We feel like that. And we've got all the analogies, juggling balls, spinning plates, walking a tightrope. First of all, have you ever seen those people walking a tightrope? Every muscle on their body is tense. Mm -hmm. Jugglers, this looks like a circus. I don't want my life to look like a circus. Yeah. And so I just started asking a different question. What if balance isn't something you do, how you balance it all perfectly like a verb? What if balance 
is something you could create in your life where you could actually feel a sense of balance Mm -hmm. in an out of balance world. You could be balanced and still be busy. And I think that this word balance, I think it looks more like peace, being confident in your choices when you say yes to this thing or no to that thing, being proud of how you spend your time, actually enjoying your life. I think that's what we're really after, Meg. When we say we want balance, I think that's what we really want. And it turns out the path to get that is not productivity. It's not doing more. It's a very different path to lead to that result. It really is an internal mindset, feeling, sense of calm in a way, because I feel like I do live that balance. Now, people say, well, it's easy for you because you don't have any kids at home. It is. However, I'm the kind of person like you, Christy, and I know you well enough. You're very smart. You're very good at what you do. You're a perfectionist and you're driven. But if you can attain that and I can attain that, anybody can attain it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I I do think that's important because it's important for kids. So when you talk about balance and revisiting balance, very specifically for the mother out there who's 35 or 30 or 40 and is living in a crazy tornado, what is the first thing she needs to do to realign or redefine balance? Well, the way that I define it in the book, and this is the thesis of the book, this is what the whole book points to and builds on, is a new definition of balance. Because even though we have some mixed feelings about this word, like, oh, eye roll, balance, right? Balance is not possible. Balance is an illusion. Despite all of our many feelings about it, we can't stop talking about it. It's the number one question I've been asked over the last 10 years. And so we clearly are craving something We're just calling that balance. So the way that I define this in the book, which actually is possible, is life balance is not doing everything for an equal amount of time. It's about doing the right things at the right time. And you get to decide what's right for you in any new season, in any new stage. When you do the right things at the right time, you actually feel that sense of balance that you've been looking for all along. But here's what's so powerful, Meg. When you decide what's right for you, You say, okay, what's right right now in this season? What's right for me and my family? When you spend your time on it, you not only give yourself the clarity to know what's right and do what's right and experience what's right and be proud of what's right, all of that, but you shake the guilt for all the things that are not right right now that you're not doing. Instead of beating yourself up and going, oh, I'm failing, I'm a bad mom, you go, girl, it's not right right now. Let me give you an example. Let me give you a specific example. So in this season, I have determined three things make the cut. Three things are a priority. Three things are right for me right now. Launching a book is number one. Number two is my family. And number three is seminary. I'm in seminary right now. And so this summer, I took Fridays off. I had a clean house. I worked out. I saw my friends. All kinds of things happened this summer when those things were not true. We're in a new season now. This Mm -hmm. is a season where these things are right for me and they're different. So when I walk through my living room, And I'm stepping over toys because my house is not as clean as I would like right now. I don't look at those toys and go, oh, you're failing. You're a bad mom. You're the worst. I go, girl, that's not right right now. You're reading 300 pages a week on Revelation. You're doing great. (laughs) You're doing what's right. So you're shaking the guilt 
of all the things that are not right right now, knowing that just because something's not right right now doesn't mean it'll never be right. It's just giving you permission to focus on what is right in this season, what's right right now. And that can be so freeing for the busy mom feeling the pressure to do everything all the time. Right. So I think that mothers live with a list in their head. Yeah. And they have a list of all the things they need to do for themselves, for their kids, for their husband, for their job, for their home. And they feel that everything needs to be ticked off by the end of the day. And one of them may be, I don't want to live in a house with toys all over. Now, that wouldn't bother me either. But for some (laughs) mothers, you know, they may say, wait, that's on my list. And letting go Mm -hmm. of some of the things on the list is very hard for a lot of mothers. They cling to that. Mm -hmm. So how do you teach those mothers to keep what's important? Because you just said three of yours but to let go of the other stuff that they're convinced is important, but that you and I know looking at them, honey, let it go. It doesn't matter. You make a really good point. Well, I would, I would say too, having a clean house is important to me. It's just not more important than these things. And that's what I would point out for anyone in general. My experience is that women suck at prioritizing. We're terrible. We treat it all equal. I've got to pay bills and make homemade muffins for everyone in the neighborhood. I've got to feed my kids and I've got to reorganize the attic and steam clean the couch cushions. No, these are not all created equal. And as long as you believe that they're created equal and you believe they're all a top priority and they all have to be done every day and you just insist on trying to shove everything above the line, when it all doesn't fit, because it won't, because your time is finite, then you actually don't get to choose what falls below the line. Things will drop and then you feel guilty because maybe paying bills dropped because Mm -hmm. you're reorganizing the attic because you did not realize that actually it's not important. So the, the hard, tough love I give people is everything is not important. And as long as you refuse to acknowledge that, you will not be in control of what makes the cut and what doesn't. The great news is you can decide. You can decide what makes the cut. These are the top three things. These are the top five things. This is what I want to get done most. You can choose those yeses and you get to choose your nose and go, hey, this isn't going to make the cut. The addict's not going to make the cut. I'm not making homemade cookies. No, I will not be the coach for that soccer team. And the house is going to have some toys this week. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can decide what you say yes to and what you say no to. But as long as you refuse to prioritize, you will be a victim to the things that fall below the line. The great news is you can fix that. You can fix that. And I think we set ourselves up to be a victim. Mm -hmm. And then we sink below the surface and we're miserable and we blame ourselves. I would encourage mothers too, because it takes a leap of faith, if you will, to say, I did this. When my kids come home for Christmas, I want everybody to have their own favorite Christmas cookies. I want all the lights strung. I want the tree to be perfect. I want them to have the sheets they like the most on their bed. And then the Christmas cards and everything. And I said, this is insane. What my kids want is a warm welcome when they walk in the door. They don't want a perfect house. And if I make everything perfect, when I open that door, I look at them like, how dare you? How dare you make me go through all of this stuff and make the house perfect? 
And they don't want that. And I would never say that, but that's kind of how you feel. But what I learned to do is say, okay, I'm going to give some of those things up. They don't get their cookies. The house isn't going to be perfect. The tree may not be well decorated. And you know what? They didn't even notice. So sometimes you have to just take that leap of faith and give something up and see what happens. And then when you see like, that's no big deal. It gets easier. Wouldn't you agree? I would. And there's a clip from a show I watched a while back that that highlighted this example in my own life. One of the things I point out in the book that I think can steal our time and our sense of balance is it is very tempting to focus on the wrong thing. Like you're talking about, we focus on the wrong thing and the results and the implication are huge, not just a balance issue, but we actually can become people that we don't even like. So let me give you this example. Little Fires Everywhere, that show. Reese Witherspoon Mm -hmm. is in it and there's this scene in front of the Christmas tree. It's a Christmas scene and she wants all of her family to match in their plaid coordinated outfits. And her daughter, who's kind of a teenager and a rebel, won't wear the plaid shoes. And Reese Witherspoon, it's this standoff moment. The photographer's there. Reese is screaming at her. She's cussing, just berating her daughter in front of her. And her daughter's crying. And it's this moment you're going, I'm focusing on the wrong thing, the plaid shoes. And it has turned me into someone that I don't even like. It's turned me into someone I don't even want to be. And as, and as extreme as that example was, I saw myself in Reese Witherspoon. I could see Christmas Eve where I'm trying to just get a family photo. And yeah, it's normal as a mom to want a photo of your kids. Okay, fine. But you've got to set some boundaries where you do not become a crazy person. So literally as tactical as this is, Meg, I have a new rule. Ever since seeing this show and even realizing this in my own life, I have three attempts at a picture. Three if I don't get it in three, we move on with our life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this can, can help us not just feel more balanced. It can help us like ourselves more. So Sunday mm-hmm. morning, if my son refuses to tuck his shirt in for church, all right, let's just get to church. The getting to church is a priority and actually liking ourselves when we get there and liking each other, not having a tucked in shirt where we all hate each other and ourselves. We've got to know what's actually important for our time and our energy. And one of the questions I ask in the book, I walk through these five tactical steps to create your version of balance in your life. And the first one is decide what matters. Yep. And as we talk about this, that can be a hard question to answer, especially for busy moms that are so reactive. We're just responding to all the demands of the world. So I ask a different question. I say, don't just ask yourself what you need to do. Ask yourself, who do I want to be? Because when you think about who you want to be, you'll know what to do. You're going to spend your time on things that allow you to be the person you want to be. So it just, the implications of this are huge. It's not just for our family and it's not just for our calendar. It's for actually becoming people that we want to be. And you talk about, you know, we've been talking about stop doing what doesn't matter. And that's tricky, but that can follow easily when people do what you just said. If you decide what you want to be, who you want to be, let's say, I want to be a mom who, when my kids come home or we're eating dinner or we're together, I am calm. I enjoy them. They enjoy me. And I'm not all stressed out and on my phone and answering my emails and worried about the next day. Then we can decide, wait a minute, this isn't who I want to be. I can figure out what matters, which is being calm and enjoyable in the evening and a nice person. And then I can stop doing what doesn't matter. So how do you make that leap, deciding who you want to be, and then 
stop doing what doesn't matter. Is that hard to do? Well, I feel like that when you decide what matters, so step one is decide what matters. When you decide what matters, these are the things that are important to you. They're the priorities in the season, the three to five things you really want to focus on. Well, then in step two, when you stop doing what doesn't matter, you have a different level of clarity about it. So for example, if I decide in step one, I want to be a present mom. I want to spend quality time with my kids. Well, what gets in the way of that? For sure, my phone, social media. Um, that's one example. There's lots of them. Uh, over committing my kids where we're running a thousand places after school. Well, that's taking away from me being present or having quality time. So maybe we sign up for less activity. So you begin to discern, wow, all these things are getting in the way of me being who I say I want to be and deciding what actually matters and doing those things. So for example, and this is more along lines of so step three is create a calendar that reflects what matters. Step yeah. four is protect what matters. Well, in step four, when we talk about setting boundaries and saying no, this is not just to protect your calendar and your balance from the outside world. It's to protect you from yourself. So yeah. I have a box on my kitchen counter. When I walk in the door at the end of the day, I put my phone in this box to place it out of sight, out of mind so that I can be a present mom, so that I'm not tempted to scroll my phone and stare at it, which doesn't actually matter. So all this plays together. You decide what matters. You stop doing what doesn't matter. So it's different distractions uh, are tempting to different people. Some people want to be the hero. Some people are people pleasers. Some people just lose their time wasting it scrolling social media. For someone, it's someone else, something else entirely. But you need to know what's stealing your time so that you can guard against that in a practical way to, again, prioritize those things that matter most. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Christy. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of my conversation. Welcome back to Parenting Great Kids. My guest is Christy Wright. So how do you figure out what's stealing your time? I mean, for you, it was your phone or emails or whatever. Mm -hmm. How does a mom sit down and go, okay, what is stealing my time and causing me to be a really irritable person? Mm, that's really good. So, so after you make your list in step one, decide what matters. These are the things that make the cut. Anything that doesn't make the cut are not a priority. So if they don't get your time, it's okay. It doesn't mean it'll never be right, like a clean house. It's just not a priority. But what I try to look at is I try to go, what is getting my time that I resent, that I dread, that I regret, that I don't like myself afterwards? Mm -hmm. Any of these questions can help you start to peel the way the layers go. Hey, when I've scrolled Instagram for 45 minutes, I'm not feeling real great about myself afterwards. Like this is not something that's like, oh, this just makes me love my life and love myself. No, uh, when I say yes out of guilt or obligation or because I have this need to be the hero or because I want someone to be so impressed with me, but that activity is actually not important to me at all. Like mm -hmm. coaching my child's soccer team. It's not the right time for me. Man, I end up being really unhappy and having to pay for it. So one of the things that I want to remind people, and that's what's so key about the thesis of this book and the definition of balance Life balance is doing the right things at the right time. So in regards to step two, a good thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Exactly. There's a lot of stuff I want to do that this is not the time for. It. Meg, I want to get a dog. I'm a dog person. Man, <laughs> I would love to have a dog. Not right now. No. That would stress me out to the max. That's not mm -hmm. right right now. Anything that is not right right now 
is the wrong thing. It is not important. It does not matter. It does not make the cut. Some things you might come back around to get a dog in a few years when Mary Grace is more independent. Some things, maybe they're never going to be important, but you have to know what's right right now and ruthlessly cut out anything that gets in the way of that. You know, I think you raise a great point. In our minds, we have the list and we think balance is doing a lot of little things during the day and getting that done. But if you look at it, balance, you can find balance over a lifetime. For instance, you know, I'm in a season in my life where I have a lot of time to work. When I was in my 30s and 40s raising little kids, I had the sense that I want to write a book. I got to go speaking. I got to do this. But doing it at that time would have cost my family a lot. But what I realize now as a grandmother is there's a period of time when your kids are in college, you have so much time to do all of those things, to get a dog or two or three, to start your career, to start a new uh, sport or whatever. And I think that sometimes when you're in your 30s and early 40s, you think, if I don't get it done now, and I think we we teach people that through our, our media, if I don't get it done now, it's not going to happen. That's not true. As you're saying, balance can be doing a lot of two or three things during this year, next year, and then a lot of another set of things over the next five years. And so I think we have to reorient um, when we're talking about balance. You talk about writing things down, which I think fits your personality great. Create a schedule that reflects what matters. So why do we need to create a schedule? Well, I know this is so tactical, but here's what I've noticed. So we, many people live by their calendars, whether it's an app on their phone or a paper calendar, or a dry erase calendar, they live by their calendar. This tells them where they need to be when. But we only fill up the calendar with things like dentist appointments, flights, meetings, soccer practice. We don't put any of those things we identified in step one on the calendar. And then we wonder why they don't happen. Well, they don't happen because we do not put them on the system we've chosen to live our life by. So whether it's a quiet time, reading a good book, an early bedtime, a date night, anything, if you want it to happen, it needs to go on the calendar. I know that sounds so tactical, but the truth is there's there's research that backs this up. You're more likely to do something when you write it down or put it into this system. But the truth is we just keep waiting for there to be time left over. Oh, I'll do it when there's time left over and there's never time left over. And we get so discouraged that we have all these things we care about and we never spend our time on them. Well, I want to help people bridge that gap where you actually spend time on those things that matter the most to you. So in a tactical way, if you want them to happen, put them on your calendar. As tactical as this is, Meg, I realized I was not getting enough sleep at night, like most people, but I wasn't doing anything particularly amazing from nine to 10 at night. I was just kind of like hanging out downstairs with my husband. And so I thought, okay, when I don't get enough rest, I'm grumpy, I'm exhausted, I'm not a good version of myself. Whereas when I'm rested, problems seem smaller, I'm happier, I'm more fun, I'm more present, I need more rest. I simply set an earlier bedtime, an alarm on my phone at 9.30 that goes off and goes, go upstairs. I put it on my calendar, go upstairs. So I, regardless of what I'm doing, I move upstairs, take out my contacts, and I am asleep by 9.30, by 9.45 or 10. Mm -hmm. That simple practice has saved me from wasting time between 9.30 and 10.30 or 11 and getting less sleep and being exhausted. So 
I know this is tactical, but the calendar is simply a tool that you're already used to using to manage these other things that you're saying are important and they got to happen. You got to remember them. Okay, let's put the other stuff you're saying is important on that same system. I love it because you're absolutely right. I have started doing that because I have a very full calendar like you have a very full calendar. And what I find myself doing is putting on the calendar, okay, a podcast at this time, a deadline for this, a meeting for this. And I was finding myself in between those times, sort of trying to do a little this and trying to do a little that. And like you said, sort of putting things in around the edges and it wasn't working. So I literally will sit down and say, okay, you know, Tuesday mornings from eight until noon, I have nothing scheduled. Yeah, that's it. And it really frees you up because then you can say, okay, from noon to four, I'm going to really go at it. I'm going to do my work and I'm going to stop because one of the problems that we have now because of our phone and we can access our calendars all the time is that we don't stop working ever. We just don't. And you can drive yourself, you know, into the ground by not stopping working ever. There's an important question and I I just kind of need to back up because I think this is important to your, because you outline everything beautifully in your book. But I want to ask the why question. Okay. Why are we mothers so compelled to get all of this stuff done in a day? What drives it? I mean, I feel like you could speak to this better than I can, Meg, but from my seat as a mom that's experienced this and just coaching people, I'm not a doctor, I'm not an expert, but I will tell you, it seems to me that it's a perfect storm of multiple different variables. So you have a culture that piles on the pressure that says, this is what a good mom looks like. A good mom does all of this. We reinforce it with how we interact with each other. And you and I talked about this on my show recently. Like, oh, wow, you're super mom. How does she do it? You look good. You got to, we reinforce that. So internally, we're like, oh, wow, this does feel good. Oh, wow, I'm so impressed. You know, it reinforces perpetuating the cycle. We also, from the psychological perspective, we've got research shows that when we check a box on our to-do list, dopamine is released. It's the same reward-seeking loop. Like when you check Instagram or take drugs telling you to do this more. It's the reason that you go put something on your to-do list, even if you've already done it, just so you can check it off. So it's this like addictive <laughs> yeah. cycle. You exactly. get through your to-do list by some miracle. You don't put your feet up. You pile more on so you can check more off and you never stop to ask if any of those boxes represent anything worth doing. And so we're a rat in a wheel. And then of course, I think that in addition to culture and the pressures and the connectivity and social media. And we perpetuate this in each other and the the psychology aspect. We all in our nature, whether it's from our childhood wounds of we were in a performance-based household where people applauded and rewarded performance or an insecurity that I don't believe I'm a good enough mom. So I'm just going to overperform and try to prove myself and pull myself up with my bootstraps. I think it's a perfect storm of a lot of factors that come together where the, my generation, and it's not just women, men too, for sure, but it feels like the walls are closing in. And no wonder that this generation is more medicated, more anxious, more overworked, more exhausted than any other generation, especially of parents, mm-hmm. because, and like I said, it's a perfect storm of a lot of factors happening at one time. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. Absolutely. Because as I said, my generation really didn't live with this level of anxiety. I do think too, that we women are not necessarily good to one another. 
and and I think that what happens is, you know, what a lot of what propels us forward to lose that last 10 pounds to get to the gym to get our kids in two sports, not one, is the sense that we're comparing ourselves Mm -hmm. constantly. Yeah to people around us. I can see young women who would look at you and go, well, yeah, you're gorgeous. You're thin. You have a great family. You have a great career. But really, it takes a lot of people to pull off the life you're living. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's not just Christy out there doing that. You've got a great husband. You've got people working on your show. And I think that we need to remind each other, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day and we don't need to compare ourselves with other people because we don't know their story. Well, you know what we do, Meg? Here's what I've noticed. We judge other women by what they're doing well, how they're winning and succeeding and judge ourselves by what we're doing wrong how we perceive we're failing. So I see you like, oh my gosh, she's got all these amazing books and she has this amazing career and she does this, that, and the other. And my, I yelled at my kids today and my house is a mess and I didn't work out and here, like, and you don't see that, oh my gosh, we all have things that we're doing well and we all have things that either help that we have or things where maybe we messed up today because we're all human. You know, I think that, you know, to your point, I have a very supportive spouse. I have a team here. I have a full-time nanny and I'm very open about that. If you don't have help, dial down the pressure, get takeout, lower the bar Mm -hmm. on what you expect of yourself. And I think we can be so hard on each other. And and for me, and my perception is, you can correct me if I'm wrong from from the doctor's perspective here, Meg, but my perception is so much of the mommy wars, so much of the mom shaming, all of that comes from a deep insecurity in all of us. We're not able to, we judge women. Here's how, how, how I say it. We're one of the reasons that I believe we're so quick to judge women with decisions different than our own is because we're not completely comfortable with our own choices, how we parent, how we feed our baby, what type of birth we had, where and how we work. The stay at home mom judges the woman that works outside the home because she's actually insecure. Am I doing enough? Am I using my gifts? Am I contributing to my household? The working outside the home mom judges the stay at home mom because she feels guilty and struggles with guilt from being away from her. We're all judging each other, but it comes from a deep insecurity. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing a good job? Am I harming my kids? Am I okay? And man, I think the insecurity piece of this has a ripple effect in not only our relationships, but even how we spend our time, the choices that we make and how we feel balanced. Such a piece of this is cultivating confidence in the choices that are right for you, whether that is staying home with your kids, whether that's working outside the home, having a business, saying yes to this or no to that. What matters most is that you spend your life on what matters most to you. It's your life. No one gets to tell you what should be important to you. Right. It's such an incredible waste of time to live your life, even subconsciously feeling like you just need to keep up. And I think social media feeds terribly. I got off of Facebook because it made me feel everybody had nice vacations. I don't go anywhere. And I feel like you're absolutely right. We need to, you know, to stop that. I also think that for women, um, we need to share you know, what we've kind of done wrong. You know, I think about I've written seven books, okay, and people go, ooh, ah, I, at the beginning of every single book, this is a true, say, I, I look and I say, I have nothing to say, <laughs> nothing, 
nothing. This is stupid. Why would they want me to do? It? And you, you, you this wrestle is with it. In- Everybody knows this. Yeah, yeah. And that. and I and I think, you know, stop that. I mean, stop doing that, but that's just exactly what you're talking about. Your book is Take Back Your Time: The Guilt-Free Guide to Balance. It's such a wonderful book. You go through eight steps that every mother needs to go through. I think it's critically important that women in particular understand this and not only read your book once, but two and three times because you've got to let it sink in. And taking back your time is really has to be intentional and it's work, but it's worth it because the option is letting, you know, still living on the crazy train and letting other things run your life. Christy, thank you so much for being on Parenting Great Kids today. I just admire you. You're you're just a great person, a great mom, and you need to grab hold of that and run with it. (laughs) Meg, you are amazing. You're such a gift to me. Thank you for your friendship and thanks for having me on the show today. You're welcome. Well, I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Christy Wright. She is a wealth of information when it comes to running your own business. So I strongly encourage you to check out her website and her books. All right, let's go over my points to ponder. One, take two weeks to review what you're doing. You know, many times we need to stop, look at our calendars and review activity by activity to see what we're doing every single day. It is an eye opener. Then we need to ask, what do I need to do? And what do I think I should do? By doing what you think you should do, you're killing yourself. Do you need to get your kids to so many after-school activities? I can tell you they don't need it and often they don't want it because they're exhausted too. Do you need all of the income you're earning or for a time, can you get by with less? Take some of that stress off of your shoulders. Most of us can get by with a whole lot less money and stuff, but we're afraid to try. Two, refuse peer pressure. Let's face it, most of what we parents do stems from feeling that our kids need to keep pace with their friends. Case in point, why do you buy your kids a cell phone, which by the way, costs you a lot of money? You buy it because their friends all have them. That's peer pressure, parent peer pressure. We overschedule our kids believing that it gives them an edge in life, but often that backfires. Three, there are seasons for everything. Balance doesn't mean doing a little bit of everything each day. Sometimes it means doing a lot of one or two things every day for several years, then moving on and focusing on something else every day for years after that. If you have small children, you may feel pressure to stay sharp in your career because you feel you won't have a chance later. This isn't true. If you wait 10 to 15 years to put more energy into your career, you'll still have about 20 years ahead of you for that career. So slow down, pace yourself year by year, and every single day will be far less stressful. I want to thank my guest, Christy Wright, for joining me on the show today. You can follow Christy on Twitter and Instagram at Christy B. Wright or on Facebook at Official Christy Wright. 
also check out her latest book, Take Back Your Time, The Guilt-Free Guide to Life Balance. Now let's recap my three points to ponder. One, take two weeks to review what you're doing. Two, refuse peer pressure. And three, remember there are seasons for everything. Remember, check out my website, meekerparenting.com, and sign up for my private community, the Parenting Great Kids community. I promise you'll love it. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born.